Before we get started for this week's Blockbuster show, we'd like to thank you all for tuning in with a special shout out to those who support us on Patreon. From just $2 US a month as a patron, you can access extended podcasts and other bonus content. A shout out to our latest patrons, Vrigu Mahanti and Adrian Vandendries. Thank you so much for being a part of the EC movement. In an EC special, we have the first interview with the Jonty Rhodes following his appointment with the Swedish Cricket Federation, as well as Sweden's performance director, Ben Harradine. Don't miss this one. Welcome into the Emerging Cricket Podcast this week online and on Sport FM. I'm Daniel Beswick and I'll be joined by Tim Cutler and Nick Skinner in a couple of moments. And well, we have a huge episode this week with Jonty Rhodes and Ben Harradine of Sweden. As mentioned before, we'll have Jonty and Ben with us in a couple of moments. But first, some news to wrap this week. First in the Netherlands, where VRA Amsterdam have taken out the Dutch T20 Cup. Captain by Peter Boren VRA defeated HBS and Sparta 1888 to win the title. Off-spinning all-rounder Leon Tomain was man of the match in both fixtures, with young gun Vikram Singh making 39 and 23 in the two wins. And Scotland's Callum McLeod has joined a host of compatriots in English county cricket, signing with Sussex for the rest of the Vitality Blast. McLeod comes in as cover for Phil Salt and becomes the sixth Scotsman to play county cricket this season, with Catherine and Sarah Bryce also dominating for the Lightning in the Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy. That's all the news for this week, so let's hear from John T. Rhodes and Ben Harradine with the news from Sweden. Hello, I'm Norman Vanua. I play for PNG. I am a bowling all-rounder, and you're listening to the Imagine Cricket Podcast. <laughs> Well, here at the Emerging Cricket Podcast, we've managed to welcome so many fantastic guests on the show from all around the world. But I've got to say, the two that we have on tonight are some of the greatest guests that we've had on the show. Welcome them in, boys. We've got a former international cricketer turned coach and commentator, as well as an Olympian and Commonwealth Games gold medalist as well. So first we have... The Swedish Cricket Federation Performance Director, Ben Harradine. Ben, how are you? Fantastic. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me here. And we also have on the show the man who has recently been brought into the Swedish system. He needs little introduction, a former international cricketer with South Africa, a commentator, and currently working as the fielding coach of Kings Eleven Punjab in the IPL, John T. Rhodes. Welcome into the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Yes, guys. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. From a rather warm Dubai, I must say. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, you spent six days in quarantine, finally free. I saw across social media, you look like the happiest man in the world. Uh, how's everything going on over there? And uh, how's the preparation for this upcoming uh, IPL challenge? Yeah, totally different. You know, I think the IPL, I coached nine seasons with Mumbai Indians, eight of them in India, one in South Africa. And just, you know, I don't know how the English guys have been in a biosecure bubble for so long because it's a totally new environment. Um, I think players, cricket players, certainly learn to adapt to play in different conditions but when we talk about different conditions this biosecure bubble it's on a whole new level so not the easiest thing to do right now with regards to preparation yes those six days of self-quarantine were the toughest to overcome but i think once the tournament itself kicks off and, and there's only sort of 12 or 13 or 14 players on the park you know, the other 10 or 11 members of the squad are going to find it really tough so it's going to be interesting to see how that gelled as a team and um, yeah, new territory for all of us. So, you know, as I said before, I'm not too sure how the English guys have survived it for so long because it is, from an emotional point of view and a mental point of view, it's fairly draining. 
Yeah, it, it, it looked very tricky. And we've seen, you know, international cricketers in, in England trying to adjust and, and it has seemed very difficult. You're now moving to Sweden to undertake quite a lot of work there as well on top of the franchise stuff. We know that you've had some roles in emerging cricket and associate cricket circles, not only commentating at World Cup qualifiers, you've also been in Nepal and, and done brief stints over there as well. What drew you to Sweden? How did this all begin? And, and what's your plan for Sweden and their cricket? Well, it, it has been from a journey with regards to Sweden. It's been a fairly recent making contact with Ben and Swedish Cricket Federation. But the last two years, my focus really has been on grassroots and, and developing of the game. So not just Nepal, but in a place like Malawi as well, in South Africa and Zimbabwe. And then also in, in India. I mean, India, you don't you don't associate development of the game because it, out of 1.3 billion, there's probably a billion people playing cricket at some level or the other. But, you know, in smaller cities, kind of the, the tier one, tier two, where the facilities are just, there's now space because everywhere else in India, there's not much space available to set up new grounds. But, you know, obviously in, in slightly poorer areas in India where the game itself is still loved. So with regards to now working and, and heading out and approaching Swedish Cricket Federation, because of the work that I've been doing at grassroots and, and emerging cricket, I've been looking at North America, obviously, so I haven't been there yet. I do have a daughter who's studying in America. She's a field hockey player. So I've been trying to kind of find work in the States and kind of kill two birds with one stone. And then from a Swedish perspective, I mean, I'm, I'm married to an architect. My wife has been a, a massive fan of the Swedish schooling system, the education system. And then I've been following European cricket quite closely, you know, obviously through the podcast, through emerging cricket and just seeing what's going on. And, and obviously from a, you know, ha- having a look at all the locals, who's playing, what are, what are the requirements? But my reach out to Swedish Cricket Federation was literally three months ago. So a great deal has happened in the past three months. I'm relocating with my family. So it's not a consulting role. It's something that I want to do long term. And I'm not looking to burst in and take jobs away from people. I just want to help grow and develop the game. And Sweden is a place where we as a family are really comfortable, even though I haven't been there before, um, but looking to make a future in, in a different scenario. So, John, I was just hoping you could explain a bit more about uh, the logistics of the move, because obviously you've got the IPL and then quarantine and, and visa applications from far away. So that's obviously pretty tricky. Um, from a family point of view, the work contract with Swedish Cricket Federation was the first requirement. We then applied for a, a residence or a work permit, which then gets passed or, or not, and it got passed. You then have to go to the, the embassy in Pretoria, the Swedish embassy. And as a family, we've done that. We have our Swedish ID card. So we are, I'm heading straight to Sweden from the IPL. So from, from that perspective, I'm going from 41 degrees to about 12. <laughs> ben, what do you reckon? Hey, by the time you get here, it'll be it'll be three degrees or less i think <laughs> three degrees oh fantastic man so so nick we as a family i mean we have property in south africa which is currently on the market um my wife we have you know four kids she has two from previous marriage i have two older kids who uh, i'm not even counting in the, i've got six children all together four are coming to sweden so you know and we have the, the um residence permits for the next two years and it's related to my work contract with Swedish Cricket Federation. So from that point of view, we are we are moving lock, stock and barrel. So it's not a case of having to apply for anything here from the IPL from Dubai, which is, is quite difficult because generally they like you to do all of that in your own home country. So that entire process has been done. It's just a matter of 
you know, we, as I said earlier on, my wife is a qualified architect. She has been, from an education point of view, she's she's a very earthy lady. I think accused of being a hippie in her youth, but she's been a, a really big fan of the Swedish education system, and not just, you know, and not just recently. Um, so we, with children at this stage in the house who are 13, 10, 5, and 3, we just said, if there's ever going to be a move, it needs to be now. And, um, you know, just really grateful <laughs> that, that Swedish cricket believed that it was me. <laughs> On that first email that went, hi, <laughs> it's like, are you looking for someone to make tea or, you know, help mow the lawn? Uh, did they... So you you literally just hit them up with an email? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> did your email say, dear sir, I'm all round up? <laughs> 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 I've always been keen on playing cricket for Sweden. <laughs> yeah, dear sir, I'm all rounder, fielding all rounder. No, they don't exist. <laughs> oh. My sort of message to Ben was, "Hey, if you're looking for a tea boy, I was kind of the best top man for two years. I got dropped from the test playing team. So, well, I think in Sweden they all drink coffee. So, um, you know, it was a case of whatever you need." Ben, your story in moving to Sweden is quite a fascinating story in its own right. An athlete, you know, competing in discus at the elite level, multiple Olympics, Commonwealth Games, Diamond League meets and that sort of thing. You have a, a Swedish partner and you move to, to Europe to help uh, you compete at the, the top level across a number of events. You found yourself, you know, as a part of Swedish cricket and the Swedish Cricket Federation. How did you begin your journey there? And um, how do you oversee the, the next couple of years or, or the next you know, five to 10 years in Swedish cricket? Because like the rest of Scandinavia, it is looking pretty exciting. Absolutely. I mean, one of the benefits of sport, as we all know, is the, is the ability to travel and meet coaches, uh, experts of their field. And uh, that was one of the things I'm so fortunate to have done in my career with Discus. I've been able to work with some of the best coaches that uh, are in the industry. Uh, and that doesn't only mean that it's dedicated to particularly throwing, but it's everything from planning and management and how to create a pathway for individuals to improve um, as human beings and also as players or athletes. I lived in Germany for seven years prior to coming to, to Sweden, and they have a very strict, a different structure that's, uh, you know, founded on 45 years of know-how. Uh, most people think about the DDR system, but there was a lot to come out of that DDR system that was that is still being used today, just without... Uh, some of the the things that they were using during that time <laughs> um and i think that 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 can't be copy and pasted but it can be applied in principle to many different areas but um my journey to sweden of course was i guess you could say foundation built on love um i met a high performing swimmer in in canberra at the ais and thought it'd be a good idea to follow her over here and uh i was ready to leave germany and um, i loved what sweden had to offer and i love what she had to offer also and uh, we spent a, a little bit of time you know between Australia and Sweden when we were both still active and then we decided to you know stop living out of suitcases and settle somewhere for a while and it happened to be here in Sweden but I spent my first four years working in a um, very large uh, track and field organization and learning how club systems work over here uh, before I moved over into into the cricket world I felt as though a lot of my identity in the sport of track and field didn't allow me to progress or develop as a, I guess you could say, a professional in the career uh, realm. And I wanted to move aside of, of that and try my hand at something else. And cricket was, it came up at a perfect time. My brother and, and his kids are crazy cricket nuts. 
And of course, I grew up watching Jonty play cricket when I was when I was a little fella. Hey, when he <laughs> when he reached out. Hey, it was the same for all of us. He, 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 <laughs> Correct. Look, he may be fitter than. I was going to say you may be the only one that can't, he can't say that about. He's a bit fitter than the rest of us still, so it's okay. Age, age is just a number. <laughs> he still looks very youthful, and he doesn't have the largest pecs in, in probably global cricket now, un, 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 unlike you. No, <laughs> I was going to say that. I was going to say that. <laughs> but, but I mean, if we're being completely honest, when he first reached out reached out to us, I thought he was taking the piss. Um, but uh, when we realised that it was actually the Jonty Rhodes, I was okay. Well, let's have a Skype chat, and um, it's just been really good to get to know him the person uh, not the cricketer but but jaunty as a, as a man and um i'm really excited to get him over here to sweden so you, you talk about the um identity as a sportsman and you know commonwealth gold medalist and that whole thing as a discus performer you know why do you want to move away from that as a you know identity because you're you're you said you were trying to shed that a bit um a lot of people go into you know coaching or commentating or, or that sort of thing so you you've made a conscious choice to step away from it Absolutely. I think it had a lot to do with the fact that, you know, my dad was my coach my last 10, 15 years of my career. And and we had this philosophy that it was all about, you know, Ben who throws discus, not Ben the discus thrower, trying to really create an identity that could be separated from what I did. Because we, not everyone has the opportunity to be the world's greatest fielder or the world's greatest discus thrower. And so um, for us, it, it was about you know the human being behind the work that we were doing and a journey that was based on constantly learning and so when it comes to now cricket and trying to leave that it's not that I'm going to leave it forever I still respect and have a lot of gratitude for the things that I have done in my past as an athlete but I I would prefer at this point in time to set more precedence on my work and what I'm able to deliver as an expert or as someone who has the competence to do a job as opposed to people giving me a I guess feedback over me being a discus thrower trying to navigate an organization so yeah there's a little bit of that in it uh, but I think that the move into cricket is part of that and also the opportunity to work with people like John T who has a tremendous contact network here I am on a podcast my first ever podcast talking about cricket learning as I'm going and uh, just trying to learn by doing and and by asking questions and uh, that philosophy I hope to take with me on this journey through cricket in Sweden. So you just talked about this idea of you know identity and and Ben as a man, you know, looking into your your story and and you found out a bit later in life that you had Aboriginal heritage. I'm very interested in in this idea of you know, finding that out later in life and how it maybe changed your perspective about a few things. Absolutely. Um, well, it's uh, been a quite a crazy journey, as you can appreciate. I remember specifically uh, when my because my father's father passed away when he was quite young and and uh, he had no real connection to that side of his family so we did this accidental journey through like trying to retrace who his father was and uh, when we uh, landed upon this name Haradine um, we found that there were a few not many but a few in Australia that had the same last name so we reached out and then in a space of you know six to eight months we had a family reunion we were sitting in the car driving onto this um, beautiful piece of land in the Wimmera region of Victoria and everyone was indigenous and my dad he's like I think we're in the wrong place this, this doesn't I'm not sure if we're in the right area but um you know we soon realized that you know this was his heritage and he had a fantastic connection to the people and learning who his father was through talking to uncles and aunts and cousins and that was a you know incredible journey of discovery for him but this underlying factor of family is something that we really cherish 
a lot in my family anyway and in the family that I hope to create one day is that you know they're always first priority and in the indigenous community it's very much about you know mother nature and, and family and traditions and trying to grow a community and uh, that's something that I've really connected to in my journey as an athlete but also as a, as a human being and something that my dad and my, my family have been very supportive. My brother works in it a lot in Australia at the moment so it's nice to be connected to that still, even though I'm over here. Yeah, it, it sounds like a, yeah, quite a shock. Um, I know you, you were involved in an Indigenous a mentoring program with athletics. Um, have there been any sort of ideas around doing a, a, a sort of a similar thing with cricket? Because we know uh, AFL is dominant within the Indigenous community and have been sort of sporadic attempts for cricket to try and break in. But it, it has a long history with the Indigenous community. So I'm just wondering if that's a, maybe something on the back burner that, that you've thought about. No, no, actually, I hadn't considered it at the moment as I'm, I'm not stuck, but I'm over here working in Sweden, but uh, definitely something that I mean, these mentorship programs that I was working with in Australia, finding, you know, boxes and, and so forth. It wasn't just the specific sports that I was so impressed with. It's just the raw talent. I mean, we were seeing people who were incredibly talented without even training a day. And to try and find and, and earmark these boys and girls and feed them into, you know, clubs or a pathway into sport, it was, you know, a very ambitious goal and not everyone wanted to do it. But gee, I can tell you one day we were out in Palm Island and um, there was a, a young kid there doing high jump for the first time. And, you know, we're used to seeing like 17 or 18 year old guys and girls jumping, you know, maybe two meters and he'd never jumped high jump in his life and, you know, just casually popped over 206 and like it was nothing and you know we're pulling our hair out going how can we do something with this kind of talent but um you know it's it's got to be a something that the, the ownership belongs to the people who have to do the work because it's not an easy road and uh it's a long road but you know hopefully there'll be something on the horizon in cricket for sure so speaking about cricket and, and back to sweden where you're uh, i know you're not stuck but where you are right now as you, as you said uh, <laughs> can you talk a bit about your role uh, as performance director and i guess you're reflecting on the skills that you've brought to it but i guess more pertinent to us and and everyone listening who may not know a lot about swedish cricket and uh, and its structures there uh, what we've seen over here so my role basically is to look at things from an organizational standpoint and the sport so not dealing so much with governing bodies and and what have you I'm of course dealing a lot with ICC but trying to create best case scenario situations for the players so they can have you know a pathway to as high level as they want to climb it's also okay to not climb as high if you don't want but you know we want to have a very clear and present pathway not only for our players but our coaches and the people who are working around cricket one thing that we didn't I, I don't think Sweden envisaged was the growth it's been just bananas the last two years we've gone from 17 clubs to 78 clubs. Uh, we have 25 grounds to work with. We're not blessed with the climate and the the amount of, uh, you know, grounds and possibilities that we are in our warmer climates. But um, we're basically trying to manage first how we control the growth or how we can place resources around this growth because it's just going boom. And this is a little bit where Jonty comes in what an experience and what an amount of knowledge that he can share with us and help us to grow in the right direction. Uh, and my role is, is trying to, from an administrative standpoint, 
uh, create a framework together with Jonti that we can facilitate the game changers, if you will, or the younger kids coming through the second, the third, the fourth generations that can really take the game to a higher quality and to create more of an infrastructure that supports that vision as well. So in short, that's a little bit about our targets, very much on junior, very much on female cricket, very much aligned with the ICC and uh, our, the people who pay our wages. It's called Rix Idrotsverbund or RF. So we have a few accountability measures there that we have to be sure that we meet. But um, you know, part of my role, again, is to, is to make sure that we have the correct organization to be able to go in the right direction. Where has that growth come from? That's amazing. <laughs> 17 to 78. That, <laughs> the only story that we know similar to that is, is Germany. Mm. And that was on the back of migration from the likes of Afghanistan, especially, and, and, and Pakistan. Where, where has Sweden's growth come from? Similar case, absolutely. A lot of it has to do with migration. Uh, a lot of people working in, in industries that are coming from cricket nations or strong cricket nations. But again, you know, it's the same boom that we saw with people coming from all over the Asias and, and emigrating to Australia. And you know that cricket nuts, people just want to play the game and, uh, you know, they're here to stay. And But what we're also trying to do is to create or market the game in a way that is more friendly to people who aren't so familiar with the game of cricket. Um, for me, for example, coming to Sweden, I never knew what bandy was from Australia. What's bandy? No, who, no one plays bandy. But I came to Sweden and then, oh, this is a game that we play over here. It's like field hockey. Okay, cool. And so I was able to learn how the game is, has grown here, but also how it's played and how clubs are run to support it and so forth. And it's a little bit of the same sort of role that we are having to do with cricket because we have people who know the game really well and then we have people who have no idea what it is. And we can't really take test cricket to <laughs> folks who have no knowledge of how to hit a ball or how to bowl or any of the rules and so forth. So we need to start and um, make sure people are aware of what it is first and then create more of a pathway for our juniors to get involved in it. So, Jonty, obviously there's been a lot of communication between you and Ben and working on, on how a lot of this growth is going to be achieved based on, on the great numbers already. I know it's it's a little bit difficult now considering, you know, you haven't really sat at the desk and, and really assessed everything properly on, on a day one, but what are the early impressions and, and what do you think are the early initiatives that you can do and be a part of to take Swedish cricket to the next level? I just think, you know, initially as well, my focus in the last two years is not just about the sort of grassroots players. It's also been about developing the coach. And when Ben spoke about infrastructure, it's not just the facilities. I mean, there's, I think, only one indoor facility throughout the whole of Sweden. And let's face it, they do have a rather extended winter. Um, so, you know, if, but it's not just the physical nets. Uh, it's also about the coaching staff, scorers. Because, you know, I grew up in South Africa playing club cricket and it was either a girlfriend or a parent that was scoring for the club players. And it was kind of a real family environment. And I think that for me is quite important. Firstly, is helping coach with the coaches and not saying they're going to be a level three by the end of you know, a week or two with me. But my real focus in, in all the work that I did in the, in the sort of grassroots and the development of the game was if I'm going to spend four or five days with a bunch of 30 kids, it's pointless me coming in, exciting them and, and showing them a few things and then just leaving. Because as we know, and, and whatever sport you're playing, I mean, Ben will attest to you, I'm sure, as an athlete as well, it's repetition and hats, and, and especially in a cricketing environment. So if I come in for four days and, and introduce people to sort of higher levels of intensity, different skills and drills that they can do to improve their game, and then never touch base with them again or don't monitor how they're carrying on, then you're pretty much 
you know, you've not wasted your time, but you could have spent it, I think, in a better way. So coaching the coaches is another part of, I believe, a role that I'm going to have um, because you do want to impact the intensity of, of the coaches because you can get away, you know, not knowing everything about the game if you approach it with enthusiasm. You know, I think if you, again, a big part of what I want to do is I want to start stealing, stealing kids from other sports, local players, you know, boys and girls, because, you know, I think cricket, you, athletics is a matter of all sports. And you watch Ben spoke about bandy. I mean, ice hockey is, is big in Sweden. Football is big in Sweden. But now, you know, there's things like this rugby as well. Uh, people are playing rugby. Maybe not too many of the locals. And they even play floorball, which is like an indoor ice hockey in the summer. So, so no skates, no ice. And you've got kids who, who grow up physically, you know, physically strong, physically fit, and introducing them to cricket in a fun environment. You know, so sure, we're not going to have, at this stage, you know, there's not even 30 cricket grounds, but... If we start sharing sport communities and sport uh, facilities with other sports, I think we can show that cricket is, you know, you don't have to know everything about the game. But as a, as a youngster, you can still have a great time and get out and play and, and enjoy yourself. So a big part of my focus is not just, you know, how do we make the high performance end of it work, but coaches. How do we make sure the coaches themselves are excited about imparting, you know, cricket skills to, to kids and making sure that they do the basics really, really well. So it's not fancy stuff or impossible things. It's just reiterating, here are the basics. This can improve your game if done at the right intensity with the right amount of fun and on a daily or, week- or weekly basis. So it's, it's funny. I'm about to ask you a question that I think you just basically answered with the passion with you talking about the gro- growing the game. But Jonty Rhodes is a name known to every cricket fan if, <laughs> around the world. What is it about development rather than coaching? Because I think that the rest of the world would probably assume that you're going to move into a coaching job around the world and a full member nation working with test cricketers. What is it about growing the sport of cricket that uh, has attracted you to this role? Tim, my parents are both teachers. I mean, my, my father's 80, so he wasn't, you know, he wasn't my coach throughout, thank goodness, because it would have been, um, you know, the days of, of South Africa, corporal punishment was allowed. He was a principal, not, not only a headmaster, a school teacher and a coach. So as one of three boys, we got disciplined in, in, in a big way. But, you know, he, he certainly, he, he taught his entire life. So from age 24 to age 74, he only retired five or six years ago from the classroom. They still kept him at the school. And he, he, he kind of, he ran the, the sports facilities and so my mother as well the same thing also a passionate teacher so if you know people ask me i have a bachelor of commerce degree um i worked for standard bank in south africa when i retired from cricket so i spent i trained as a business banker and then we, we launched the pro 20 cricket so i got out of the game and then got back into it and i think what i always miss is as an individual growing when you're a player because cricket is a game that you're continually growing and you're learning something every day so when you're working with, with high-performance players, it's a, it's a very different environment to, to grassroots. And, and I think just, you know, Ben spoke about his heritage. My heritage is certainly as an educator. You know, I, I grew up with parents. And if my dad wasn't, you know, if he was playing sports himself on a weekend, he was, he was a rugby referee or he was the hockey coach. You know, he was just totally involved. So I think that's something that resonates with me in a big way. And also, I think the way that I played cricket, surprisingly, I mean, I, I wasn't exceptional, but I think I did the basics pretty well. And, and I had a lot of fun. You reckon? <laughs> <laughs> that's understatement. <laughs> no, I had a lot of fun, I think. And that's the key. I mean, that's, that really is the key to my success. I mean, if you look at cricket players, if you go back and you look at sort of, you know, highlights that will almost highlight their careers, it'll be, a, you know, a, a big double hundred or a, 
And for me, I think the highlights of my career were three or four great photographs of me doing something stupid. Um, you know, and, and, and that really kind of summed up what I was doing. I was just having a lot of fun. So that for me is, I think, where, where my cricket sort of emanated from. And it's something that, you know, for me, it's almost going back a full circle if I can continue with the grassroots. And, you know, the Swedish Cricket Federation being really generous with regards to they haven't said, okay, now you've got to live here 12 months of the year. You can't go anywhere. I, I am with IPL for a three-year contract with Kings Eleven Punjab. So they will have to release me over this, whichever period it fits into. So I'll still have a mix of both. But I have, as I said, the last two years, I have loved this grassroots and, and, and the growing of the game, just because I think my roots have always been around teaching. Just for the record, the guy that talks about being okay at cricket, you know, <laughs> 52 tests, the same number as uh, Don Bradman and Dean Jones, uh, averaging uh, more than 35 in all f- formats of cricket. But what I want to ask about is the uh, one for 13, uh, your best first class figures. <laughs> who was the victim? <laughs> who, who was that? <laughs> and what were you bowling? Uh, I was bowling little dibbly dobblers, little in swingers. Um, Lee Barnard, he used to play for Northern Transvaal. He tried to hit me out the park. Um, he got, I think I caught in the boundary somewhere. But yeah, the, I think the game was heading nowhere. <laughs> but you know, as a bowler, I think I bowled two test overs as well. Um, they were over, I think, four different or three seasons. So I bowled one over against India when the game was about to be called off as a draw. But an interesting stat, do you know who the last person was? Oh, you would, obviously. Who bolted Alan Border. <laughs> yeah, it was me. My last, my second over of test cricket, my second over bowling was to Alan Border. And it was actually a maiden over. And I think he felt that if he couldn't score a run of John T. Rose, he'd better retire. <laughs> so that was it. That's my claim to fame with, with regards to my bowling. No, I was terrible. <laughs> Uh, I just wanted to call that out. The oh, you know, I, was, I wasn't that good at cricket. Like, and here we were talking before you came on about who's going to be the most fanboyish when it comes <laughs> on. Now, I'm, I'm the one born in '82, so I, I remember you being out in Oz in '92 and '93, '94, and, and lacing six into the SCG boundary over there on the east hand side. But we weren't going to talk about that. But as soon as you bring the pleasant, you know, really nice false modesty out, it's like, oh, come on, fishing. I'm just fishing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just need the compliment. I'm around all these stars in the IPL. Nobody talks up to me anymore. <laughs> but one, one question I do want to ask that does kind of stem from that is, yeah, a, a lot of people with the reputation of you being probably the most elite fielder, especially in your generation and still talking about, you know, 20 years later as one of the best fielders of all time. But to look at you as the fielder, a, a little bit of a revolutionary in that regard, is that something you're kind of thinking about, I suppose, moving forward and doing all these these roles as, as being a deep thinker of the game and potentially innovating and looking to do different things and, and pushing the boundary, so to speak, because were you the one out there grafting every every day, almost doing your own thing? Or was there someone in your head saying, you know what, you know, this is the, the future to be, you know, one of the better fielders and, and to cut off 15, 20 runs in an innings is almost important as scoring those off your own bat. Is that something that you think about? And who was the person that decided, you know what, let's get this right. And yeah, you can, you can win games in the, in the field as well as with the ball or with the bat. Bears, let me just clarify, deep thinker, John T. Rhodes, not something you're ever going to hear again in the same sentence, but, <laughs> but thanks very much. I, uh, you know, for me, I grew up playing football or soccer, cricket, tennis and hockey, field hockey. So, so my fielding, Richie, was a combination of all of that. 
Uh, I was a very nervous kid as making my state debut. I mean, as, as a middle order batsman, I did not bowl, as Tim so rightly pointed out. I didn't bowl much. <laughs> so I kind of had nothing else to fall back on. And you know, when you're a 19-year-old kid making a, your state debut against very senior players, uh, and South Africa, to put things in perspective, we didn't have international sport because of the apartheid regime and sporting sanctions. So that was the highest level I could really get to was playing for my state. And there was no country to play for. So I wasn't even thinking about taking my game to the next level because kind of that was it. But I'd been renowned as a schoolboy as a, as a good fielder. Again, I didn't bowl, but I also have a lot of energy and I think it's still around, that energy, at, fortunately, at, at, at PY, which allows me to still do what I do with real passion. And, you know, I couldn't stand there for 60 overs or, or, or 90 overs in a day and not be involved. So, so fielding was something that I really love to do without even seeing, okay, he has a, he's a gap in the market here, you know, nobody else. So for a long time, you, you, you're the number one fielder in the world and, and Dean Jones might, maybe he'll query that um, but there was no number there was no number three I mean you know early 90s there was nobody else really diving around and, and, and Tim you spoke about Dean Jones I mean he he was the one guy that he's probably the only player that could reach from the boundary at the MCG and I think he did it on purpose everybody else had to do a relay throw and Dean Jones could bullet it in from the boundary you know the rest of us the game plan was you had to have two guys one would follow halfway get the relay throw in so Dean was an incredible fielder but I was more of a stopper and that's just from the other sports that I played you know as a, as a hockey player and a football player. I mean, I was a center forward, so I had to score the goals. But I saw goalkeepers, how they would come off the line, the sort of tactics they would use to defend the area. And that was my role in the team. No coach asked me to do it because there was only one coach. You know, there was no bowling, batting, fielding coach, just one coach for the entire setup. And any work that you had to do was with a teammate. And amazingly, that dive, Tim, in 1992, when I, I ran out into my at, at the Gabba, was because I didn't back myself to throw something. We didn't have pug nets and fielding coaches. And all I did was practice stopping the ball from getting past. You know, so I, I really didn't back myself to hit this. I backed my speed because I was a good athlete especially against Inzimam. Um, <laughs> but it was an aspect of my game that I never really worked hard on at that stage was, was throwing the stumps down. So it's something that evolved. And in fact, Bob Woolmer and with the third umpire and, and the sort of the camera review, Bob Woolmer just said, Jonty, just take one more step, slow yourself down. Because prior to that, you almost had to run the guy out by an entire meter for the umpire to give you as the fielder the benefit of the doubt. So never was it a, a case of keepers. Yeah, if, if I'm a good fielder, the guys will, will select me on, you know, on, well, I'll be noticed firstly. And in a way, I think it was probably a detriment because at the end of my career, I was batting a lot more sensibly as because, you know, I got dropped for two years from test cricket and then had a strong finish. But up until then, too often people would say, yeah, it's fine, but you're saving 20. You score 30 or 20, you've made 40 or 50 in the game. And, you know, I wasn't big on saying, hold on, you know, we, we as, a South, as, a, as a middle order batsman, I need to be averaging closer to 40 or in the 40s because I'm um, I had the luxury of being an all-rounder in a way. So maybe, if anything, it was probably the detriment of my batting. But uh, it was just fielding because I loved it. 90 overs in a day or 50 overs. Loved every minute of it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You, you mentioned Bob Woolmer there, and he has a strong connection with South African cricket. And he's also a common thread through associate cricket, especially in the early 2000s. So I guess moving back to the idea of development, and, and you mentioned um, Malawi and some stuff in South Africa. So could you go into a bit more detail with you know, what you were doing in, in that sphere? Well, especially, Nick, in, in, in Malawi, we, I was invited to go and spend a week there. So coaching with the ladies set up with the men's, the under-19s. And yeah, unfortunately, from that perspective, what you often see is that in club structures, and again, it'll be a big part of working with Ben in Sweden, is that you know, you've got such a limited sort of pool of players. And even though 
Ben's talking about the, the incredible growth. But too often you see people not actually working together in, in, in a club structure. And that's in every country. In fact, a lot of the associate countries that I've been to, Nepal had the same thing a while back. They were banned by the ICC. And you kind of, at the end of the day, you sit there and you just shake your head. Say, guys, come on, man. There's, you know, there's only uh, 500 cricket players in the whole country. And yet you can't work together. You literally are. You just, you're biting your nose to spite your face. So why can't you work together? So I think you know, for me, a lot of it is, and I'm an administrator, thank goodness, that Ben's work. But, but you know, a lot of it as a coach, sometimes your role is actually just as a, you know, just being a human and just making people understand that we all have a part to play in this. So, you know, I, I don't come in as the expert. I, I certainly tell everybody when I arrive that, you know, I don't have level one, two, three. Um, sure, I played cricket for, you know, 11 years for South Africa. And at one stage, I was considered the father of fielding. Now it's more like the grandfather of fielding. <laughs> at the age of 51. But I don't know everything. I'm still learning about the game. You know, and, and that's important. If, that, if I can get people to feel that they are contributing as well, and especially in emerging countries where, you know, people are, are, they kind of make excuses almost because, you know, we don't have great facilities and it's pointless trying to get high performance because everyone's volunteering. And it's just trying to inspire people that you know, if you get up and you make a difference, even if it's just greeting someone from the other club, you know, you can impact in a massive way off the field as well as on the field. Because a lot of the issues that we have in or emerging country cricket is that people just don't work together. There's some great work done, but in isolation. And it just you know, blows my mind that you can't get that all together. So a lot of the work that I've been doing is also just a bit like a bridge builder too. So coaching was one aspect, but trying to get the whole cricket community to come together was for me a, a massive focus. So it was always good to find out from the various countries that I was heading to, what is the cricketing scenario like? And, and, and you know, can we bring parties that are not talking or, or not playing against each other, can we bring them to the same table and just say, come on, man, for the, for the good of the game, let's put all this aside and, and really be honest with each other. Because I think that was the one thing, and, and Ben would know as a, you know, as a, as a high-performance athlete, you have to be honest with your performance. And it's generally not, it's not the outcome. It's not what was the performance on the day. If you're honest with yourself, it's generally in the process. What was my preparation like? Because you can get it wrong on the day. I mean, you really can. But as long as you're comfortable that the process has been with the right intensity and, and also, you know, kind of heading for the, the right goal and, and practicing the way you should be practicing. That for me was, was way more important. So I was less concerned about I've now converted or I've now generated some high performance drills and skills. So I have been able to set up a part of a process where people actually start talking, playing and just taking the game forward, which is so important. Geez, you almost defined a, a lot of uh, pockets of associate cricket. <laughs> Very much so, yeah. Quite a few yeah. associate countries were flashing through my head there when you were talking about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But in some ways to see teams that are playing, you know, literally for funding, still getting on there and sharing skills, though, there's a sort of a real tale of two cities with associate cricket. But I just want to pick up on a thread there. You're talking about saying hello to the other teams and and, and talking to each other. Language of cricket is, is, a, is a huge thing that, that we talk about and we're going to be writing about a lot more soon. Swedish Cricket Federation seems to go out of the way to post most of their things um, on social media in Swedish. Ben, can you just talk a little bit about that focus and really to Jonty's point to tie that in about how you are looking to galvanize the, the cricketing community, especially bringing Jonty in, who I'm assuming is, is not uh, fluent in Swedish, <laughs> at least not, not yet, but um, uh, how that challenge is uh, within the country there. Absolutely. I think, I mean, the underlying thing that I'm seeing appearing a lot and in what Jonty's saying also is that for me, a 
we talked a little bit about identity and so forth. And I think it comes back to like the humans, like something has to be bigger than the sport. And in Jonty being with us and a little bit of my philosophy also is trying to reach each individual at a human developmental level. And the cricket is the facilitator of that. But be, And because we have so many people coming from so many different cultures, from different languages, from different ideals, from different belief systems, acknowledging that we come from those different spaces and working on what do we share in common and that is of course the game of cricket and having someone like you know Jonty to influence that from a high level perspective but also working with people who are willing to put in the effort is enough for us to generate momentum I believe and so you know being a good leader is about mastering that art of letting go of our differences and trying to create environments where these individuals really can thrive and own what they're doing. Um, but coming back to your social media stuff, this is a really interesting theme, actually. And of course, uh, with Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, we have nearly no one on Twitter that's following us that speaks Swedish because Twitter is used a lot by Swedes. It is by some, but not heaps. But it's used a lot by the cricket community. However, Instagram is appealing to a demographic of 16 to 30-year-olds. A lot of young Swedes are engaging in things that are happening on Instagram. Hence why we tend to use a little bit more of a Swedish is as a first published language because we need more people who speak Swedish as a first language to be understanding what cricket is. Facebook, on the, on the other hand, we try and use a, a little bit of both, a little bit of Swedish, a little bit of English, because we have foreign people who are interested in the game and what we're doing over there, whilst we also have young demographic who are connecting with us on a Swedish level. We could post something on Facebook tomorrow in just Swedish, and then someone will write us going, hey, what about English? But th they don't realize that they can click on the translate button and they get a fairly good <laughs> grasp of what we're, what we're trying to communicate. And similarly, in the other way around, but if we're going to be working in schools in all over Sweden, we need to be able to bring the content of the game of cricket to Swedes in Swedish, because otherwise it will never be taken by them and with their own little spin on it. For example, there's one guy over here who has been with cricket for many, many years. I've had some really fantastic conversations with him. And he's basically created a whole cricket language in Swedish that he uses to commentate in. And like, it makes no sense when you hear the words, like, because I'm so used to hearing, you know, all the terms that we have grown up with, but he's made them into Swedish slang. So that's kind of nice to hear when he's commentating, you know, like slagman is batsman, for example. And he calls the stumps the grinden, which is a direct translation to the gates. And then like he calls when it goes down leg side is in the corridor or on the ponytail side, as he calls it for the ladies. <laughs> so it's it's really interesting way to connect what we're actually doing out there on the on the field to a new demographic, a, a new Swedish audience by bringing it to them in, in their mother tongue. So there's a little bit of a strategy behind that, but with only three staff at the moment, you know, there's a lot for us to do. And we're starting, as Jonty says, with the coaches and, and providing that capability first. And then hopefully if those possibilities allow for themselves later on, then we can start to talk about how we're going to market the game a little bit better. <laughs> Well, I follow Sweden and I know Danish, so I can sort of just about understand your uh, your Twitter comments. Um, I love that story of the guy who's uh, who's just invented a Swedish terms for all the cricket vocabulary. But you, you mentioned the schools there and what's the project coming into schools and, and where's that all going at the moment? 
Yeah, so basically it's first off the knowledge of what the game is. We can't spend our first contact with the new interested parties to cricket talking about the laws because we'll lose them in five seconds. So we have to make it really transferable from sports that they already know. This is what Jonty was talking about a little earlier. So taking people who play bandy, ice hockey, who already hit things, who already throw things, uh, who are athletic, and then introducing them to this new sport in the schooling system. But in order to do that, we need to connect with the teachers because the PE system over here is completely different to what we're used to in Australia. And I'm not sure how it is in South Africa, but it's not as organized. That is in the hands of clubs. So the, as we call it over here, Friannings leave or club life, they really have a huge responsibility to deliver this game to a huger audience or a larger audience where PE doesn't do that in schools. So first point of contact is to introduce it to um, schools so people can educate the kids what this is. And then we try and have a, a feeder system that the schools can introduce uh, the pathway into a club system because a lot of cricket or a lot of sport over here is based upon first activities so we have cricket schools we have track and field schools we have ice hockey schools where you have five weeks of summer vacation and the kids just come their parents like pay a bit of money for them to come to these schools and they're in our hands and we introduce them to the game and we feed them and we take care of them. It's a huge uh, generator of finances into the clubs who will then invest back into the sport. So it's a the system is a lot different than what we're used to, I guess, in Australia, but for the better and for the worse. But it puts a lot more responsibility, not so much on the schools, but on the clubs. They've really got to step up. It's, it's interesting you talk about needing to develop something to move the kids into, and, and that's a recurring theme in a lot of associate countries is just, you, you know, you can create interest, but you need somewhere for the interested people to go. So once, you know, you've got these club sort of things, where do they go if they, you know, if they like it at school or, or if they like it in this sort of summer camp thing that you're describing? What's the next step for a kid who likes cricket or indeed an adult who discovers it? You know, how do they get into the sort of recreational scene? So the, there's a few different formats, but the, the first would be to join a club. In Stockholm, we have, I think, 16 different clubs at the moment. Some are better working with junior programs than others, uh, but there are a few that, that offer the like cricket schools. And then they have cricket tournaments that's interclub, so like a triangle competition. Uh, it's all modified as well. Like we're not playing hardball stuff yet. We're just you know learning the basics, how to smash a ball, how to catch a ball, how to throw a ball, things like that, how to field. Um, but that would be your first avenue in. And what happens here in Sweden is if you have a child under 25 as a club, or if we, let's say, started an organization here as a club, we would be the board. We would create activities for kids to come and join or learn the game of cricket before we go into competitions. And in those activities the state gives us funding for each individual kid that comes down to an activity so if we have five activities a week and we have 30 kids in those activities the state will pay us the club a amount of a pot of money that we can therefore then help fund our coaches or pay a little bit of money to our coaches. So it, they're not completely out of pocket, but most people donate their time and that revenue goes back into the club. So we can then do things like have larger activities, create cricket festivals and so forth. So it's very much founded on the on the basis of volunteer um, manpower, but it's, it's a way for clubs to generate finances by having a lot of kids doing a cricket-based activities. 
To move it to the clubs, and we've spoken a little bit to Daniel Weston, who heads up the European Cricket League, and now with European Cricket Network, you guys have had a European Cricket series streaming Swedish action. You guys were set to have a competitor in Lund at the ACL for this year, and unfortunately things transpired. There's now a a platform and, and almost a pathway from club cricket to competing on a continental stage in the European Cricket League, but in terms of streaming and having those tournaments being viewed by potentially thousands of people, some new to the sport others maybe living in Sweden from you know cricket playing countries originally who didn't really know that Swedish cricket was up and running as much as it is is streaming and the advent of streaming a good avenue for people of any age to get into the sport as well uh, absolutely I haven't seen much of the the data at the moment so I don't know how quantifiable it is but I know that it was a huge hit over here having the ECS I think some days we had upwards of 500,000 people watching there wasn't a great deal going on cricket-wise around the world at that time. So there was a lot of people who were interested in what we were doing um, and the cricket that we're playing. And yes, there were some. The data that we got back, I guess, from what Daniel has told me, there were some people watching in Sweden. But I don't think we've come that far along yet in our journey where enough people who are based in Sweden would take it upon themselves to go, oh yeah, cool, there's cricket on TV or there's cricket live streamed, I'll go and watch that. There was just, I think there was a difficult time for many. So it'd be nice to retry that whole concept when other sports are up and running and seeing how we can connect across different borders. But I mean, the ECS for us was a fantastic way to grow, to give the clubs a little bit more responsibility because from us, uh, from a central standpoint, we didn't do more than pass a local host to ECS. So we, Daniel and I had many discussions about the clubs need to benefit. They need to be able to, to take the responsibility to showcase their cricket, uh, to promote themselves so more people can see that there are clubs that are thriving here in Sweden. And I thought that was very ambitious of him. And he said from the very beginning, you know, this is a learning curve for us. We're learning by doing. We're trying to move it, you know, as fast forwards as possibly can. But then, you know, like there's just so much going on at once. And as he goes along, I think he's sort of like cutting things out and pasting things in based on the feedback that he's getting from the different nations and everyone is so uniquely different but I mean it was it was great for us it was a great learning curve and also to talk about a little bit more like visibility for the game from that standpoint that's the end of part one with our interview with Jonty and Ben we'll have part two next week so make sure to subscribe to the Emerging Cricket Podcast if you haven't done so already so you can tune in as soon as that drops make sure to pass the pot around and also give us a five star review wherever you are listening to the show if you want to support us financially go to Patreon that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Emerging Cricket where you can support us from as little as $2 US a month and that will get you extended versions of a number of our shows and you can have a say on the show's direction for now on behalf of Nick Skinner, Tim Cutler, and myself, Daniel Beswick. See you next week.